If your Bibles, why don't you take them and join me in the book of 1 Peter chapter 3. And if you do need a Bible, the men in the aisles have some copies. Just slip up your hand. They'd be happy to get you a copy of the Scripture so you can follow along with us in God's Word this morning as we study. Especially as we talk about marriage, make sure what I'm saying is true from the Bible's standpoint. We've been going through 1 Peter together, and last week we finished chapter 2, which has us in chapter 3, verse 1, and we'll go down as far as verse 7. And if you're turned with me to 1 Peter 3, would you stand together with me out of respect for God's Word as I read our passage of Scripture? 1 Peter 3, beginning in verse 1, says, Likewise, wives, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the Word, they, without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, The holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Husbands, likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. And Father, we ask and pray that you would just help us, Lord, through the power and the enabling of your Holy Spirit to be receptive to what you would want to say to us this morning as we open your word, particularly, Lord, in such an important area as marriage. Lord, we see so much struggle in our culture, in this generation, in the area of marriage relationships. So, Lord, would you give us your insight and your understanding that we might experience your best for our marriage relationships. And Lord, we ask as always that we might hear not wise or persuasive words of a man, but experience that demonstration of your spirit and your power, speaking personally to our hearts. Bless your word, Lord. Speak to us now, we ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Do you think it is still really possible, given what we see now in our culture, uh, for two people to actually have and continue to experience a good and satisfying, and most importantly, a lifelong marriage? You know, after 19 plus years of marriage myself and three daughters, two of which are also in their teenage years, and the maintenance that all that with a mortgage and bills and everything else can have on you, I tell you that I believe it absolutely is possible. That it is absolutely possible to have a good, satisfying, lifelong marriage, and much of that in the marriage depends upon how you build it, It depends upon what you invest into it, and as we'll see as well from the Word of God, how you as a husband and wife operate within your marriage roles and responsibility. Our passage this morning, as you can clearly see, gives to us wise instruction regarding the roles and responsibilities of the marriage relationship. And again, let us keep in mind as we go back to the very beginning of the Bible, thinking of these things together this morning, God's word is very clear that he designed and created both man and woman separately, and he created them uniquely. And purposely in so doing, God designed us with clear gender differences, not only biologically and in our physical makeup of our frame, but also regarding our needs and the functions in which we're best suited for. Uh, Let us never forget the marriage relationship wasn't man's idea. It wasn't something socially we just thought might be something good to try and then absorbed as we went forward. The marriage institution was something that was given to us by God. In fact, I would draw your attention to the fact that it is the only institution we have that comes to us on the other side of the fall before sin ever entered into the world. 
the marriage relationship. God created it and all of its intentions. And since God designed this marital relationship of a man and a woman being joined together to share a lifelong relationship, it should go without saying and be rather evident that God himself would be the absolute best individual and source to give us proper instruction regarding how the marriage relationship should be lived out for the best experience for both the wife and the husband. And because of that, we do have in God's word clear instruction. Other key passages besides what we are looking at together this morning in 1 Peter chapter 3, again, if you're a note taker, uh, you should take note of passages like Genesis chapter 2, like 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and Ephesians chapter 5 and Colossians chapter 3, because these are other passages as well that give to us further instruction beyond what Peter's words give to us here. Here we have the Holy Spirit directing the Apostle Peter to write to us words and instruction regarding the marriage relationship. And we do know, please take note, contrary to what's been perpetrated and, uh, and, and, and you know, given to certain sectors of the church, the Apostle Peter tells us in Mark chapter 4, verse 30, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, that Peter was married. Peter was not a single celibate person. Peter the first Peter, the original Peter, he was a married man. The Bible tells us that. I say that for this reason, that what Peter is writing, he was not just writing from a theological standpoint, he was writing these things experientially. He was living together with a wife. He was experiencing a marriage relationship and seeking to live these things out together between he and his own spouse. So again, as we jump into this and we look at these roles and responsibilities regarding the wife and the husband, before we enter in, to those of you who are married, let me just say this. If at the end of this study, as a husband, you find yourself saying, see, that's the problem. If she would just respect me or if she would just submit to me, everything would be different. Listen, then you've missed the whole point. And if on the other side of this study is a wife, you say, see, that's the problem. He's not understanding. He, he doesn't honor me. He doesn't treat me right. That's the whole problem. Then as a wife, you've missed the whole point. God is giving to us his word as always, not to give you ammunition to indict someone else. God is God of their life like he's God of your life. God is giving to you and I instructions individually that we are accountable and responsible for God as God's husband in a marriage, as God's wife in a marriage, to be obedient to ourselves and to leave the results with the Lord. Now, if you are here this morning and you are single, before you tune me out and check what's going on with your iPhone and the World Wide Web or whatever, listen, if you're here and you're single, if you're a young person or you are still single, please pay attention Please pay attention. They always give a soldier basic training before they put them into the battle. Okay? The married couples can explain to you what I mean by that afterwards. Please pay attention because these types of passages give to you as a single person, as a young person, revelation of how to become prepared to be a successful husband, to be a successful wife. They give to you insight of what God expects of you. And such passages also, secondarily, will indicate to you as a single person the kind of spouse you should be looking for. As you're searching and praying for the mate God might have for you, may I suggest, as I tell my own daughters on occasion, listen, look for individuals who are inclined towards these things because this is the kind of man that dad wants you to have. So look for someone who seems inclined towards that. If you see someone way off in the South Pole, away from where God says due north is supposed to be, that's not the kind of guy we want for you as a husband. So these give you both great instructions how to prepare yourself as well as to help you as you're in the search process. Now the background and context, as always in the Word of God, is important here like in every other passage. You remember as we've been going through 1 Peter in our recent sections we've been studying together, there's been a lot of instruction at this point regarding relationships and how we are to interact with one another. 
He's talked about relationships among fellow believers. He's talked about our relationship as citizens to the government. He's talked about relationships among the unsaved world and how we're to interact. Relationships we saw last week in regards to how we're to interact with our employers and those who are in authority over our lives. And we've seen in this section on relationships continual references being made to things like giving honor to others properly and honoring someone's spirit and honoring who they are. We've seen references to submitting ourselves continuously being made. We've seen references to being respectful repeatedly made. And in this passage, take note, the exact same themes, the exact same uh, instructions are now given regarding roles and responsibilities in the marriage relationship. And in fact, that's why if you take this, notice chapter 3, verse 1, the first two words say, wives, likewise. It's, it's pointing us back. In other words, likewise. In the same way in other relationships, the Bible's saying we've talked about giving honor being submissive, being respectful, interacting in relationships. That's why he says wives likewise. And then when he comes to chapter 3, verse 7, he says what? Husbands likewise, likewise. In the same way, these things apply to relationships. So draw your attention with me back to verse 1. Peter begins by simply saying, Wives likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Now take note here, Peter basically gives to us both an instruction to and an incentive for the wife in the marriage relationship. Uh, and the instruction comes to us first. The simple instruction is very clear in verse 1. The instruction is this, wives be submissive to your own husbands. Now please hear me as we begin to talk about this. Let me clarify something that's very, very important. The Bible is not saying and nor does the Bible teach that women generally should be in submission to all men. That's not what the Word of God teaches, that all women must submit in general to all men. This command is given and reserved for within the boundaries of a marriage relationship. And in that covenant, a wife is called to be living in submission, notice very clearly the text, to her own husband. That's very exclusive. That's very clear and very direct, that a wife is to be in submission to her own husband. That one man whom she willingly chose to commit herself to in a lifelong relationship, it is within the boundaries of that marital commitment that she is commanded by God to submit herself and to allow her husband to provide leadership in their relationship and in the marriage. A wife has chosen to devote herself to that specific man knowing who he is and entering into that marriage relationship, indicating that she clearly trusted who he was in his heart, in his character, in his nature, and indicating that she was consciously choosing to embrace his leadership and his covering as they went forward in the marriage relationship. Thus, once you are in a marriage relationship, once you find yourself in the role of being a wife, no matter how you got there originally, because that's already transpired at this point. The bottom line is, is that the instruction and command of God is very clear. He says, wives are to be submissive in that role to their own husband. The Bible teaches God's order for the marriage and family is that the husband should be in the place of leadership. God, by his wisdom, has assigned that God-given authority to the husband to be in that place by his intended plan. Ephesians 5 says this, Ephesians 5, 22 to 24 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church and the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, let me say two things in relation to that. First of all, gentlemen, as husbands, 
It is essential that you and I recognize our God-given responsibility to be leaders and to provide good and godly leadership in our marriage and in our home life, that we take serious this vital role and responsibility that God has given to us to be a good and godly leader for our wives and for our families. And I charge you before the Lord, listen, you have a very high responsibility and you better walk very close to Jesus and take very seriously the accountability that God has given to us as husbands to provide good and godly leadership for our family. That is a high calling and an incredible responsibility that we have to embrace and respond to seriously. And as well, wives therefore then need to realize and recognize that this is God's design for best and then by the grace of God and in faith and obedience to God, seek to be responsive to his plan in the way that you're relating to hubby and embracing what God has established as God's perfect plan. Again, that word submissive, when you look at it there in our text in verse one, the Greek term is actually taken from a military picture. It literally means that word submissive to fall into proper rank. That's what the term used there actually means. Now, from a military perspective, the idea is very clear. To rally behind another person's direction, to rally yourself behind another person's leadership for the purpose of working in cooperation and obtaining a higher goal. Now, just like in a military setting, that does not mean and it has nothing to do with who's smarter it has nothing to do with who's more spiritual or who's more capable or even what a particular person's track record was. It has everything to do with a voluntary act of recognizing God's prescribed order. It has nothing to do with the treatment that you experience. If he's failing, if he's falling short, Peter's going to address that. It has everything to do with obedience to God's command and by faith, faithfully performing the duty of your marital role and accepting God's predetermined order and then yielding to that and adapting your response and relationship to your husband as a means, listen, of obeying God, as a means of pleasing God and doing it as unto the Lord. Uh, the word submissive, if you look it up from a definition standpoint, says yielding oneself to the authority of another being compliant and obedient. In simple application, God's word says the husband is to be in charge as it pertains to the environment of the family life. And he's asking the wife to recognize and respect God's design. So that means when it comes to providing direction, spiritually, when it comes to providing direction in the family life, the husband is to be initiating that. You can't be passive, guys. We're to be initiating direction. We are to be providing leadership, providing guidance, stepping up to the plate and initiating what we're supposed to. And ladies, I would say this, be careful, therefore, of being domineering and too ambitious. Be careful and ask God for help in that area because I tell you this, and please hear me, if you are always taking control, whether it's verbally, whether it's practically, if you are aggressively always kind of just pushing ahead in matters, all you will do, listen to me, all you will do is squelch the God-given potential of your husband's leadership. God has called him to lead. He needs to learn how to lead, whether he's good or not. Some men maybe do really good. But listen, by design, God would not call him to something that he would not equip and enable him to do. So you have to be careful. Because if by nature and by personality you tend to be a, you know, someone who kind of just you know, is, is moving forward and always pushing ahead and maybe you're, you're extremely gifted and talented and way smarter than him and you can handle way more things, you have to find a balance and be careful there. Because you could very easily, if you're not cautious, create frustration and intimidation and all you will do is just make your husband more passive. He'll just become more passive. I tell you, I have seen it many times over where sometimes men will pull back simply because they feel like their wife doesn't need them. I mean, what guy does not like on occasion when your wife says, honey, can you open this jar for me? You know, it's almost like you come around the corner with your Superman cape on. I do anyway. It's like, yeah, I can open that jar for you because I'm a man. <laughs> you need me to at least open a jar. 
you know. And, and who doesn't like that? Because it's a sense of you need me for something. There's something about me and my male distinctiveness that is necessary. I have something to contribute. And see, those simple things like with uh, opening a jar are, are just the small indicators of how it's, it's necessary. It's good for a man to feel needed. And because of that, you have to be very careful because at times if your husband begins to feel he doesn't seem to have any need because you've got everything so under control and you just always press forward and aggressively take control and do things and, and initiate everything, he just gets more passive and feels like, well, she doesn't need me anyway. I'll just, I'll golf more. I'll hunt more. I'll you know, go hang out in the garage more. She doesn't really, and, and it just backfires and causes a detrimental effect. So when it comes to as well, making decisions, certainly. Should a husband and wife talk about things together? Yes. And any wise husband learns how to listen to his wife. Because there are times where, like God told Abraham, listen to your wife where she does have the right idea. And she does understand and maybe has an insight and, and therefore her input and counsel may help you make the right decision because you're better well informed by listening to her. But at the end of the day, after a husband and wife talk together and pray through things, ultimately it is up to the husband to bear the responsibility to make decisions to make determinations on behalf of the family when required, and the wife is supposed to yield to that, I'm simply saying this, ladies, allow your husband to lead. Give him the shot. Give him the opportunity. Afford him an atmosphere where he feels the responsibility to lead when you defer to him by those simple ways and allow him to fulfill his God-given potential. And again, for you younger sisters or maybe those of you ladies who are still sing single, take what the Bible is saying here in this design into account when you're selecting a husband. You still have the option. You know, my uh, oldest daughter, she's not, not here this morning, you know, very godly young lady. And, you know, as we talk and, and pray through these kind of things on occasion in regards to God's plan and for her as a spouse, there's been more than one occasion when we've you know, talked about a particular different individual. And sh she has said to me one time before, she said, you know what? My only concern with that guy, Dad, is, is, is I, I don't know if he could lead me. I, I, and and I, that wouldn't be good. And I understand there's a responsiveness on her part, too, to be submissive, as the Bible says. But I think, man, that is so wise as a 17-year-old young girl to recognize, I have to respect this man enough if I'm going to allow him to lead me and to lead our home life. And I would encourage you, listen, when you are about to march forward into the marriage relationship, be careful. Be careful that it is a man whom you have enough respect for. You see his godliness, his commitment to the Lord, and you would feel absolutely safe and comfortable submitting yourself saying, you know what, I'd feel absolutely comfortable letting that man lead our home. It's a wise thing to take into consideration and you can spare yourself a lot of marital struggle and frustration moving forward. Now, hopefully most of you do as wives have godly husbands whom you respect. However, what if he's not saved? Or what if he's just not real spiritually uh, you know, committed and he seems to be complacent spiritually or disobedient? Well, uh, the Bible addresses that here in front of us in verses 1 and 2, and that's where Peter's giving the incentive for the wife's submission. The incentive, Peter describes the condition that might exist, and notice he says very clearly in verse 1 there, even if some don't obey the word, that without a word, they might be won by the conduct of their wife. So now Peter's addressing, let's say the husband simply, let's say he's an unbeliever. Let's say you're a godly Christian woman and, and you're married to a husband who's not saved yet. He's an unbeliever. Maybe you got married and then later on in life, uh, you got saved and you're a Christian now and, and he's not yet. Or let's say you made the choice of becoming unequally yoked and you married into a relationship as a Christian with someone who's not saved. Or let's say you're married to a man and maybe he is a Christian, maybe he is saved, but maybe he's just not where you're at spiritually yet. Maybe he's being disobedient to the Lord. Maybe he's just not quite as uh, you know, committed to Christ and he's maybe just kind of a little complacent spiritually. Does that give the wife then a, a special exception where she says, well, because of where he's at or he's not a Christian, then it wouldn't be wise to follow him? The Bible says no. 
Absolutely not. The Bible says, in fact, there's a greater incentive and reason why you should continue to be submissive because it says here, because sometimes husbands without a word can be then won by the conduct of their wives. And take notice there. Very clearly, the Bible says that even if they don't obey the word, that without a word, verbally speaking, saying things, they may be won by the conduct, behavior, lifestyle of their wives. The Bible is telling the wife here that your husband, if that's his condition, he is not going to be won over. He's not going to be convinced. He's not going to be persuaded. And you're not going to change your husband by verbal nagging. Or by continually speaking about the things of God and pressuring him or constantly preaching to him. And, and we understand how these kind of things work in dynamics. So your husband's not a Christian. So you're excited about the Lord and you're reading your Bible. And so every single conversation you talk about, somehow you always find a way to bring that conversation back to Jesus. You know, you're talking about something to do with bills. And well, well do you know God shall provide all of our needs according in, in every conversation. You know, you, you just always you have to always bring the conversation back to Jesus. Or, you know, you're, you're packing his lunch and sticking a track in his lunchbox every single day. You know, sticking it in between his bread so he bites it. What's this in here? You know, well, you know, the four spiritual laws, you know. And, and you're just constantly looking for ways to, you know, you set the, you, when you drive his car, you set the radio dial to the local Christian radio station, or so as soon as he turns it on, there it is again, want to make sure that he, you got to be careful. Or, or let's say your husband, again, is a Christian, but maybe he's just a little complacent spiritually, or, or he's not quite where he should be, he's not obedient to the word of God in certain areas, so you're always bringing home books to him all the time, you know, how to become the godly leader in which he intends you to be. And every, you know, every birthday, every Christmas, he's getting the next instruction manual how to become the man that you're not that I wish you would become. And God is saying, listen, be careful. Because what tends to happen, and I can share this with you as a man, there's nothing wrong with sharing when it's appropriate. But if you continue to abuse his eardrums, God is trying to say, and you continue to violate his ears, typically being over-persistent verbally with a husband in that condition, it only will push him further away. Because he'll begin to become irritated by it, and many a times he will become bothered and embittered by the abuse of his ears, and the Bible simply telling us there's a more effective way. There is a more effective way. Good that you want to see him come to Christ. Great that you want to see him grow into the godly man he's supposed to be. But look what the Bible says here in our text. It says, winning them over by your conduct. There's a different way to appeal to him. Not through the ear gate, through the eye gate. Men are visual. Men are visual. We know that. Studies prove that. Women are, are typically you know, persuaded by what they hear. Men typically are persuaded by what they see. So God says, listen, I know how I made men. Go for the eye gate. Go for the eye gate. Let him, it says, when they observe your chaste godly conduct. Notice, when they observe. God's saying, they will observe. They'll pay attention. You could never say another word about Jesus. But if you live for Jesus, and you let a Christ-like character be demonstrated, and you show him what it means to live for Jesus Christ, God's saying that will speak really loudly through what he sees. He will observe it. Listen, I, I have known couples before that, a prior church, we were pastoring Calvary Chapel in York when we were there. The, the home that we started the Bible study in, when we first started there, the wife was saved, the husband was not saved. In fact, it was a split-level house. We would have worship and Bible study on this level, and he would sit downstairs in the next level and smoke cigars and drink beer. Very, was very you know, cordial with us, kind, let us you know, meet in his home. And we prayed and prayed. And we always prayed for, for him to come to the Lord. He would interact with us. And you know what? Ultimately, he came to the Lord. I had a chance to baptize him. It was just a, a wonderful thing to eventually see him finally make a, a full, genuine commitment to Christ. And one of the things he shared with me is he said, you know what? Here's something that I noticed, Tony. He said, I observed as the result of, of Judy following Jesus, my life was better. Jesus made my life better through my wife. I like the wife that I had because of Jesus. And, and, and he was simply just sharing what he observed who she was 
as a Christian, the way she interacted with him, you know, related to him, and it had a powerful, powerful impact. So again, your conduct will persuade as he dwells together with you, and the Holy Spirit will use your godly behavior to convince to bring conviction by the Spirit and ultimately make them desire what's right. He says, your conduct, notice also the verse says, accompanied by fear. Now, the idea doesn't mean accompanied by fear in the sense of that you should be threatened or intimidated by your husband. That word that's used there, fear, is the same Greek word that's used in Ephesians 5.33 where it's translated respect, where it says husbands, uh, or it says let the wife, excuse me, see that she respects her husband, the term literally means to revere or reverence as a king. And, and let me give you a little secret, ladies, because this is, this is critical, I assure you, to help you in the process of relating to your husband. One of the most powerful things that you can do in relating to your husband is to show respect towards him. That is the language of a man. Men and women, we would all agree, have very different value systems. So a guy's got to learn, listen, man, you, I tell guys all the time, listen, you can't relate to your wife like you relate to a guy. I know you can talk to guys like that. You can't talk to your wife like that, though. She's not a guy. You can't talk to her like that. You're going to crush her. You can't speak like that. But in the same way, listen, your husband, stop trying to treat him like he's one of the girls. He's a man. He lives in a different world. He lives in a world where the language of the male design has a different value system. As a husband, I can tell you, listen, we just went through Valentine's Day. As a husband, I'm not craving Hallmark cards. Okay, I'm not craving more sentimental expressions of the love that my wife has for me. But I tell you this, if my wife, through her interactions with me and the way she speaks to me and so forth, shows respect toward me verbally and how she treats me, I'm there. I feel very loved. If I sense respect in the way that she responds to me, if she honors my spirit as a man, that indicates she appreciates me, and that's how I feel very loved by her. So very, very important things to consider. Look how Peter goes on, verse 3, he says also to the wife, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing of gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, he says, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. So here Peter encourages the wise not to be pressured, of course, to conform to the world's value system pushed upon women, whereby you pursue instead being outwardly beautiful rather than taking into consideration the inward beauty of your heart condition and your nature and your character. And in that world, in the ancient culture, Roman women were fiercely competitive. And it was the social norm among the ancient culture to, to have a tremendous expectancy to win the approval of others around you because of your appearance or uh, you know, your image. And there was a great emphasis, of course, then put upon public appearance. Uh, you know, there are accounts of, of women among the Roman culture where they would wear large hairdos with stacked levels of braids. He mentions braided hair as well. Stacked levels of braids with ornamental jewelry in their you know, heads, kind of like a skyscraper hairdo. I mean, just, but the idea, again, was there was this incredible emphasis upon outward appearance and seeking to impress and seeking after elaborate dress and apparel and clothing. There was a great priority and a lot of effort being put upon physical appearance. Sound familiar? In our current American culture, sounds very, very familiar to exactly the way things were in the day in which Peter was writing. So Peter's warning against adopting the ways of the world system. He says, therefore, don't let your adornment be merely outward. That word adornment, interesting in the Greek, is cosmos. It's where we get the word that was used to refer to the ordered universe from back in Genesis chapter 1, how God created the universe in an orderly way out of chaos. So out of chaos, God brought order. The word cosmos, interesting enough, that's where we get our English word cosmetics. Now, I don't want to try and apply something, but chaos to order, I mean, there, there could be a connection there. Cosmetics. 
That that was the idea. It's the same word that's used. To bring an orderly appearance, to seek to make something beautified in his presentation. The verse is obviously speaking here about the appearance of a woman, how she presents herself in the way that she appears. And listen, the Bible is not prohibiting a woman giving attention to her appearance to look neat and orderly and attractive. Unfortunately, there are those, I've heard them, you've maybe heard them, who take texts like this and interpret them in a very legalistic way and distort them to mean all types of things that are out of balance. That is not what Peter or the Bible is conveying. In fact, I think and most husbands will probably give me a high five afterwards walking out the door, that most husbands appreciate when their wives take into consideration their appearance and seek to keep themselves looking attractive for their husbands. You know, because there are lots of women in our world that adorn themselves with another agenda. And then here's your husband, he's out in the world and he's in the job you know, realm all week long and he's and doing that. And if he always, every single day, keeps coming back home and you're, well, whatever, and you know, sweats and hair up and you smell like the Lysol queen and yet all week long, he's having to be exposed to everything else. Listen, it's a wonderful thing when you say, you know, I want to look attractive for my husband. I, the Bible is simply just telling us here, look, it's not a prohibition on outward appearance. It's just a precaution in the area of priority. The Bible is just simply saying, listen, don't get out of balance. Don't let things begin to be out of uh, kilter comparing the outward adornment to the inward character. He says, instead, let your beauty be the inward beauty, the hidden person of the heart. Let your beauty stem foremost, he says, from an incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit he says that's what's precious in the sight of god again a gentle and quiet spirit simply means a disposition that's mild and calm a disposition that's kind and christ-like not forceful and assertive it's the opposite of being loud and domineering in personality or verbally pushing that's what the bible is saying a gentle and a quiet spirit a meek spirit is something that is christ-like and it says that's an incorruptible beauty and something as well that's not just attractive long-term to your husband, but it's something it says that's very precious in the sight of God. God is well-pleased when he sees that as well. Proverbs 31 says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is fading, but a woman that fears the Lord is to be praised. Again, the issue is very simply. In today's culture, I know it's a norm. There's a great emphasis. The Bible is saying just keep the emphasis on the inward character. Make sure that it doesn't get out of balance. You know, great thing to ask yourself on occasion, consider how much time and investment you put into physical appearance and getting yourself ready to get out the door to look a certain way physically. What if you put the same contribution into developing a Christ-like character? Can you imagine? And the Bible here is just encouraging the caution of this very area. Verse 5, Peter then gives an example of the things he's saying. He says, for in this manner, in former times... The holy women who trusted in God adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. So Peter, by way of encouragement, sets before them now what? A biblical example. He takes the picture of Abraham and Sarah's relationship, reminding how godly women through the ages, he says, verse 5, who trusted in God, adorned themselves by their before being submissive to their own husbands. So they showed their trust to God by saying, I'm willing to be submissive to my husband, God, because I trust that you will take care of me as I submit myself to the leadership and decision of my husband. And notice it refers specifically, interesting, to Sarah and Abraham. Sarah who obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And no, I'm not going to expound on that term at all. <laughs> but I want you to think about Sarah and Abraham's relationship. Would you agree Abraham made some poor decisions on occasion? On, at times, Abraham didn't quite listen to the Lord but it's saying, but Sarah, because she trusted God, she said, God, I will do my part. I will honor and please you by being submissive to him and, and complying in an obedient way that honors you and going along. And God, I trust you without any fear that you're going to take care of me. And didn't God do that for Sarah repeatedly? He always took care of Sarah. Uh, and the Bible here is saying, listen, don't let fear, 
as a woman, as a wife. Don't let fear of, well, what's going to happen if I submit to him? Don't let that intimidate you. You trust God. If you trust God, you trust God with everything. And you do what's pleasing to the Lord and trust God with the results. Well, we come to verse 7. Ready to get it now, guys? The ladies are going, come on, bring it. We, we, we can stay here all day. <laughs> verse 7. Husbands, likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, though only one verse given to the men, if you take into consideration what it says, it is pregnant with lots of instruction for a husband there in that simple verse. Now, many other marriage verses, Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, clearly, repeatedly tell the husband, love your wife, right, as Christ loves the church. Love her sacrificially, Love her in a way where you are servant-hearted towards her, that you would be willing to die to yourself to do everything you can to take care of her, to put her first, to enrich her life, to bless her life, to put her always before yourself. So I think what Peter is now doing by the Holy Spirit directing him is simply expounding upon what does that mean? What does it mean to love your wife as Christ loves the church? What does that look like practically I think 1 Peter 3, 7 sort of shows us what that looks like. First of all, he says, husbands, dwell with your wife. Now, take notice of that term. Circle that there, guys. Dwell. That's a term that speaks of something physical. Dwell with. Dwell with your wife. The Bible's saying you need to offer to your wife your physical presence. It doesn't say just visit with your wife when it's convenient for you. It says, dwell together with your wife. She needs your physical presence. It means settle down, share your life together. It's indicating by the physical encouragement there that we need to be involved in our wives' lives. We need to enter into their world and know about it. And God is saying to the husband, which has a propensity at times to do this, listen, you can't be detached. You can't allow yourself to get preoccupied, whether it's with your career and all your career ambitions and goals and you're so important in your job. You can't let yourself get over preoccupied, whether it's your profession, whether it's your hobby. Well, I play this sport Saturday night and I play this sport Monday night and I, and I fish on this night and I golf on that. Hey, I got to have my hobbies. No, listen, you need to be a husband first. And your wife needs your presence. It doesn't say just share a bed with her. It says share your life with her. You need to dwell with her. It means you got to be around. you got to give your wife time. You need to give her attention. You need to put a priority on interacting with her as your partner and sharing your life with her, dwelling with her. She needs your physical presence. It's essential. It's a part of meeting the need of who she is as a woman. And he then says, dwell with them. Also notice, continue with me. He says, with understanding. So the idea being as a husband, we are to be showing understanding, learning how to be considerate, compassionate. Guys aren't always the strongest in that area. Again, she's not a guy. You can't relate to her like you do the guys in the factory or in the office. She's not a buddy. She's not your chum. She's a woman. She's precious in the sight of God. She's a queen. She's a princess, one of God's daughters. And God says, therefore, you need to learn. I need to understand how to be compassionate with my wife. I need to learn how to be a considerate individual of who she is in her nature and her differences from me, being patient and sensitive when I relate to her. And not just showing understanding, but also, hear me, because this is key, guys, seeking understanding. Dwell with your wife with understanding. We need to learn how to seek to try and develop a greater understanding of who our wife is. I want to say, well, well I kind of know how women are. I, I have three sisters. I know how women are. No, no, no. The Bible says you need to seek understanding of your own wife as you dwell with her. She is a unique person created by God. Interesting, the old King James says here, dwell with your wife according to knowledge. The idea is getting to know her. Listen, gentlemen, 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 your wife should be your lifelong research project. 
And I guarantee there's plenty enough compartments and doors there to keep you busy for the rest of your life. But she should be your research project. You should seek to get to know who she is. She's not your mom. She's not your sister. She's not somebody else. Well, tell me, tell me what women are like. Listen, I know what my wife is like. That's my responsibility. You need to understand and get to know who your wife is. Her strengths, her weaknesses, her temperament, her fears, her concerns. What makes her tick? What does she like? What doesn't she like? You know, what is necessary in order to make sure that she stays healthy and sustained? What matters to her? You know, what, what, what's the best way to relate to her specifically? Not to women generally, but to her specifically. You need to develop an understanding of who she is. That's your assignment. Getting to know her. Seeking understanding so that you can be more understanding and efficient in the way that you minister to her. He then goes on to say they're giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. Again, notice, giving honor. That word speaks of revering something that is valuable and precious, like a vase that's very, very valuable. And because it is so valuable and so important, you give extra special attention to take care of it. And God is saying to us as husbands, our wives require special honor. They deserve respect in a way whereby we treat them as if they are the singular most important thing above everything and everyone else. That we honor them as if they are the most precious, valuable thing that God has entrusted to us in our lives. And therefore we give honor to them, treating them as someone who is important before all others she should be your queen gentlemen and you should treat her that way you should allow her to experience that by the way you give honor to her it says notice as the it says weaker vessel the greek literally indicates they're more delicate now let me just say something in relation to that contrary and forgive me for any offense contrary to the distorted women's liberation movement it is a simple fact by study, biologically, and God's purposeful design, that the average woman is weaker than a man physically. I know our culture is seeking to distort all types of things, and many a times, women can also tend to be more fragile as it comes to dealing with their emotions. And being overwhelmed by certain things that maybe a man might be able to bear up under. And recognizing that makeup in nature, that they may be more delicate and that their shoulders aren't able to bear up under certain things that maybe yours can. You need to be offering the protection and the care and bearing certain things on behalf of your wife and caring for her accordingly. Husbands, we should not be putting unnecessary burdens or undue expectations on your wives. Shouldn't be happening. We shouldn't expect, hey, well, I can handle this. I can carry that load. Listen, get over yourself. She's your wife. She's not your mom. She's not your maid. She's not your chum. And she's not your fellow co-worker who does all the same things that you do. She's your wife. And, and God says, listen, you need to respect who she is by design and be considerate and patient. You need to learn how to, at times, say, hey, I need to provide a covering over my wife. I need to be sensitive. How can I alleviate pressures off of her shoulders that might crush her? How can I step in and bear up the load? My shoulders can simply bear, in many ways, more than Trisha's can. And because of that, I seek as a loving way to serve her, to find ways to be sensitive, to protect her from certain things, to bear certain things and to take certain things upon myself so that she is not overburdened by those things. And I don't do that because she's inferior to me. It has nothing to do with that. And listen, call me chauvinistic. To me, it's chivalry. And I don't think chivalry's dead. And I don't think chivalry should be dead. <laughs> Our culture might be a little happier if we were just honest and open in regards to how God's made us and what keeps everybody the best taken care of. And Peter, notice, gives a very strong warning here to the guys at the end. He says, she is being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, take note, that's a pretty serious warning. Peter warns the husband if he's not treating his wife or caring for her as he's commanded to, and this, this isn't given to a wife. 
shows there's a lot of accountability from God's perspective upon our heads. God says, you want to be the head? Okay, guess what? Th things always, when they drop, hit the head first. Because <laughs> you want to be the head? You want to be the guy in charge? That's your God-given responsibility? Then great, you have a greater responsibility. And God gives a severe warning to husbands. He says, living together as heirs of the grace of life, that if you don't treat her right, your prayers could be hindered. Again, heirs of the grace of life. The idea is that we are both a husband and a wife, sons and daughters of God. He's reminding us of this, that she's also your sister in the Lord and God's daughter. And God's saying, if my daughter's mistreated, that's going to put a strain between my relationship and yours, Tony. I'm a dad. I have three daughters. One day when I have son-in-laws, I can guarantee you, if one of my son-in-laws began to mistreat one of my daughters, it put a little strain between my and his relationship as their father. God's saying same thing to the gentleman. He's saying, that's my daughter. That's my daughter that I let you live together with. And he's saying a struggle will develop in a man's spiritual life if he is mistreating or neglecting his wife. Great evaluation to take into consideration as husbands. That word hindered that Peter uses there literally means to break up a road or to hinder progress. To break up a road or hinder progress. What God is warning of is saying, if I'm not relating to my wife and treating her as God intends, it creates a blockage, a roadblock in my spiritual life from going forward. And I can begin to discover, you will find out if we're not careful, it can wreak havoc on your personal relationship with God as a husband if things are not right between you and your wife, reminding us of that essential priority. Now notice very clearly from these verses as we looked at them, like many areas of life, doing the right things in marriage, it's not complicated. It's really not complicated. It's not a whole lot of instruction. Doing the right things in marriage as a husband and wife, it's not complicated. It's just hard. It's hard because our flesh resists it. The world contradicts it. Relationship conditions and marriages sometimes affect our willingness, and this is why we need to live close to Jesus as a husband and a wife. It's why we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that the oil in the engine of the marital vehicle doesn't have undue friction because you want to drive that thing the distance. You don't want to go, oh, this is not working out. I'm just too much friction here. I'll just pull this over, park this one, and I'm going to walk up to the next car lot, see if I can find me a better one to drive. No. Is your lawn brown? Keep watering it. It'll get green again. If you need to ask for forgiveness, ask the Lord to forgive you and ask your spouse to forgive you. And ask God to fill you afresh and say, God, help me to be the husband. Help me to be the wife that I'm supposed to be to please you and so that it profits and benefits my marriage. Amen?